Oh, everyone loves a murder cabin. <laughs> From the Emirates Literature Foundation in Dubai, this is the Boundless Book Club. Today, we are talking about the books that might not get the full page of erudite book reviews by venerated critics, but what they do get is a 5 out of 5 for unput-down ability. And lucky for us, these authors are all coming to the Emirates Lit Fest in February. I'm Annabelle. And I'm Andrea. And joining us this week to talk about our favourite cheap thrills is our colleague Nivia Sarao, website manager and ferocious genre reader. Nivia, welcome. Hi, thank you. Could you tell us what book have you been engrossed in recently and why should we read it? Oh, okay. So um, I feel like I've been talking about this book for months now. It's called My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. And it's excellent it's a horror novel uh, but it's also kind of a YA novel in the way he's done it because it's about a young teenager and she's Native American and she lives in this really small town in Idaho and she loves horror movies and so even though her life is kind of hard and she's going through a lot she kind of uses horror movies as a way to cope and so she keeps trying to like call on them as exact like on specific examples within them as ways to encourage herself but also frame her own life and so when a series of murders starts taking place in her small town she's like oh yes of course I live in a slasher cycle because slasher movies are her favorite and so she is trying to find the girl she thinks is the final girl who will survive this and save all of them and just kind of impart her knowledge and it's really well done but also really tragic and sweet I don't know I love it so much oh wow that sounds really unique so he's written another novel, which is kind of about the final girl trope and horror movies. And that's written more like a screenplay. But the thing I think is so effective here is he's such a big horror movie fan. And the way he refers to them isn't in a way that would keep out readers who might not have watched all the movies he's clearly referencing. And so there were a lot I didn't know. And I was like, oh, cool. And so it just made me excited to check them out. But the ones I did know he's used so effectively, it feels like a love letter to horror, to fans of horror, and just to his maybe younger self, because it's just so specific in the way he draws on these movies. Do you think it's got crossover appeal? So do people who don't like horror, would they be able to get as caught up in this? I think so. I mean, I would hope so, because there is this whole emotional component to it and just the way she's trying to survive. And so I kind of forgot that it was horror. I mean, she doesn't let you forget that this is a horror novel in the way she refers to things. But I feel like I forgot stuff in the way I was just concerned for her and just rooting for her that I was like, oh, this isn't a traditional horror novel at all. I have questions. Um, <laughs> is there a lot of slasher on the page I don't know how to answer that one so there's an <laughs> there's an early scene that was written li like it was from a horror movie I could picture everything and that felt very cinematic and I feel I don't know maybe for my no I feel like that was lower like it wasn't as gory as I would think so I think it's okay like if you like scream and Halloween and stuff I think you'd be fine are you thinking of the scene in the canoe? Yes. Right. Because like there's, so I, so you know how she, I mean, he, he as her describes this baby bird in the novel and it's really kind of brutal. And cause she uses nature sometimes and she's like, oh, like, you know, ma like mother bears and they don't come back to 
uh, I don't know if this is an accurate recalling of mine, but uh, they don't come back for their young and stuff like that. And they don't protect them. Like nature isn't kind. And so in the way he does that, he's kind of brutal in his writing. And I felt like that was harsher than the actual kills, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it's very literary. Yeah. And I, I think there are more fans... I think more readers are actually fans of horror fiction like this than they realize because it is different to watching a horror film. And one of the things that I love particularly, and I think Stephen said in interviews that he loves about this genre, the slasher genre, is the way comedy and horror go hand in hand together. And the idea of always having this kind of pressure release valve in the way you use like uh, witty dialogue and in jokes with certain characters and the way that just light relief really cuts through all of the darkness. Yeah. As you're talking about this and she's looking for the last girl to sort of help out. To me, I'm getting Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes, but I don't know if that's just because that's what's in my head at all times. (laughs) So it's really interesting because I think she, if she had to cast herself, she would cast herself as Giles and she's looking for Buffy because she so the, she does find the final girl or the, a girl she thinks is like definitely the final girl in to her like to her mind hits all the criteria and so for her I feel like she's trying to train her and so in her mind she'd be like oh I'm Giles this is Buffy and we are going to defeat all these vampires it's really interesting it's like really sad and sweet that she doesn't see herself as a main character and a survivor even though she is oh I, I've never seen a slasher film like I've never seen Scream really? I've never seen any of these <gasps> But I, I've only just started this, but I'm really enjoying it. And I think that, and I love Buffy as well. So I feel like you could, you could read this and you'll be fine. If that's what you're surreptitiously trying to ask. Well, it's what I'm, it's what I'm thinking about, obviously. Um, but I want to hear about how this links to your book, Annabelle. Okay, so I don't read a lot of crime fiction usually, but I've been going through a phase. And one of the books that I've uh, listened to recently is Mark Billingham's Sleepyhead. And this is, I think, his his first book. And it introduces his detective, uh, Tom Thorne. And one of the things that it has in common, the small link, is the way that it's often incredibly funny even though he's writing about really horrific subject matter and the we've all read a crime thriller before but the hook for this is that a bunch of women have been murdered and the killer is actually not trying to kill them the one success that he has is the one that's got everybody freaked out and intrigued and what he has aimed to do and succeeded in doing with one of his victims is her brain is active, but her entire body is essentially paralyzed and not working. So she's kind of like locked into her head. And this is what he wanted. And the story alternates between D.I. Tom Thorne trying to get to the bottom of this really awful series of murders and attempted murder. And between the inner monologue of the victim who's in the hospital. And I listened to this on audiobook and highly recommend it. Mark William actually... Uh, Mark Billingham actually narrates it and he's a great narrator and he does this uh, fantastic accent of the victim who's kind of locked into her own mind and she's really really funny and it shouldn't be as hilarious as it is but it weirdly this victim who cannot move her body and is in this really tragic situation is the funniest character in the whole book and provides the light relief that's amazing 
So is she? It's really well done. Is she? Is it two narrators, and is she one of them then? Yeah, pretty much. I've actually also just listened to an audiobook by Mark Billingham that Mark Billingham read. And I completely agree. He's such a great narrator. He, he does accents in a way that is really subtle, which I think is just fantastic. And you almost forget that it's an audiobook. It feels like you're just sitting around with someone who's tell- really great at telling your story. A hundred percent. And that's how I felt listening to this. I had it on in the car and I was so looking forward to the drive home because I knew that I would have this storyteller just on, on the speakers. And he's he's so great. And he doesn't do the accents in a way that I'm doing an accent now and it completely distracts from the story because you're just paying attention to this accent that someone's doing. It's all very seamless. It's a highly entertaining crime thriller, great story, great characters, 100% would recommend. Would you feel like you would do this all in one sitting? I mean, if you had the time, yeah, you'd want to. Okay. Because I feel like for My Heart is a Chainsaw, I have to piece it out because sometimes I'm like, this is a lot. Like, even though it's a great (laughs) book, I'm like, this is a lot. So you need a break mentally and emotionally. A little, yeah. I think that probably separates it again from some of the other books in that we put into the this genre. Um, because most of them are very page turnery. When I read Lucy Foley's The Hunting Party, that was really something that you kind of you want. It's like when you start a box set on Netflix or can you call it box set on Netflix? I don't think you can. It's like when you start to watch a TV series on Netflix. Because oh, it's not in a box. <laughs> yeah. is it? So you start to watch a TV series on Netflix and you think, oh, I'll just I'll just watch the first one or two. And then you kind of think, but actually, I'd like to know what happens in the next one, because this is, you know, and, and before you know it, you've watched season one. And you're like, well, how long do I have to wait for another season? So so I feel like Lucy Foley's The Hunting Party, it's like the whole season and you just can quite easily crack through it because on every page you want to know what happens on the next page. I've read this as well, and I have questions, but you're going to set the scene for us first, right? Yes. So a group of friends who spend every New Year's together, I believe, and um, one of them has, she's gone out of her way to book something really, really special, which is this very exclusive hunting lodge in Scotland, you know, remote location there's a train station but it's kind of there's nothing else there it's just the station for this lodge and nothing else really and they arrive there and it's very beautiful and very remote and all their friendship dynamics play out and as with with any group of friends who've all known each other since university it's not always very straightforward and somebody dies and because of the remoteness of the location you know that it's highly unlikely that it would be a complete stranger that who's wandered onto the property that's a hundred miles from anywhere. And then you uh, you really want to know who it is. And because there are a lot of conflicts in this group, just barely under the surface. So you really want to know, you know, who it is, which one of these people might have done it. And um, what what would you what did you want to say, Annabelle, about this book? Okay. Well, number one, I I loved the book because. I love a good locked in mystery, which is essentially what this is. And I wanted to know if you also thought that they were all just terrible people. Yeah. Although I did like the people who worked there. I thought they were quite nicely drawn and people with depth. I agree. Yeah, I like them too. 
You, what were you going to say, Nivian? Do you think it's more fun when terrible people, like, cause especially in like a novel where a lot of people are going to die, like, is it just more fun that it is terrible people versus, oh no, people, I really want to survive. And this is awful that this is happening. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this the other day and I know that with the Boundless Book Club, but there is a new season of Dexter out. And I don't know if either of you care about this, but one of the highlights of Dexter is obviously he's doing really awful things. He's a serial killer. And yet he's the protagonist because somehow they balance it out by him murdering just really awful people. And part of you is going, yay, good job. And then the other half of you is going, what are you saying right now? (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with you? Uh, So maybe there is some truth in that. But also, I I don't know if how you feel about books in general, but I find nice protagonists can be quite boring. And, you know, I don't I don't love reading about people who are great and do great things and their lives are perfect. I feel like though, because the other books I read were Bridgerton. And so I feel like I have. So I find it really interesting because most of the time I'm like, yeah, I do want complicated characters, but I feel like when you do romance, I want to root for them so badly. And so like not all of them are like, oh, these perfect, amazing individuals, but one of them in the series is kind of like you really are rooting for her. And when people are mean to her, you're like, no, this is awful. Like, I do want her to find love. I do want her to like show them that they're awful people. And so I think it depends on the genre for what you're rooting for or what you're hoping for. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, in Austin as well, I haven't actually read the Bridgerton books yet. But in Jane Austen, at least, I don't think that there's really anything seriously unkind about most of the heroines that you read. It's more about how they navigate the villainous, like aunts and uncles and well-meaning, but just awful family members and friends around them. You've actually read Bridgerton, right? The first one. Yes, I've read... No, I've read like up till Elo- up till Eloise. I've read I've read four of them. Oh, okay. Questions, questions. Uh, have yes. you also seen the show? Oh yes, that's why I made it to Eloise. So you watched the show before you read the books, or the other yes. way around? Yeah, I so I technically haven't read the first book. I just kind of skimmed it, but because I've seen the first season, I was like, oh, I'm more invested in everyone else. I know the story already. So what's the experience been like going to the books? It's interesting. So I know she's written one book for each of the eight siblings and Daphne is the firstborn daughter. So she starts it. And then from the second one onwards, you're going by age. And so it's like Anthony and then Benedict and then Colin and then so on. I'm really excited for season two because I read the book. Like, I think that was the best and most, most strongest book of all of them. And I really like how she had the... They're not exactly enemies, but they really dislike each other. And it felt most like Pride and Prejudice, which, you know, everyone loves. And so it felt like, oh, this buildup's going to be really good. I'm so excited to see them on screen. Like the chemistry, I'm shocked at how good the chemistry in the novel was between these two characters, having read the rest, because I was like, oh, I want to see you guys argue. I could watch a whole movie, like I could watch eight episodes of you just arguing. This would be great. Which characters are you talking about right now? Oh, sorry. So it's Anthony, the oldest brother, and his um, his love interest, Kate. Okay, and that's the focus of season two, isn't it? Yes. So and this yeah, is book two. Have... Book two, yes. Okay. And What's the title book... of book two? Oh, I think it. Oh, it's the Viscount who loved me. <laughs> oh yeah. What a title! 
Yeah, the titles aren't my favorite. I don't really remember them. I just remember them by which sibling it is. And looking online at what other fans are saying, everyone just calls the book by like which sibling it is. I feel like the Bridgerton TV show had such a huge impact that I've seen that people are openly admitting to reading romance novels now who wouldn't have a couple of years ago. Is that just my experience or have you also felt like that was happening? I feel like Bridgerton made it like so everyone could say, oh yes, I read romance. But I think to all the boys I loved is the first time people were like, oh yeah, we love contemporary romance novels. Because most people were like, okay, saying I love Pride and Prejudice, like, but that's a Regency novel. But to all the boys I love, I feel like made people say like, oh yeah, I like like them set in the modern day as well. And it kind of like Bridgerton really builds on it. Cool. I still <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was, think, I was thinking about romance novels. Well, no, because the thing I was going to say, though, that I think would link back to thrillers, though, is so throughout the novels, there is Lady Whistledown, like in the show who's and she's been writing all these. She's been writing these society papers that actually name and shame people. And that's why it's such a big deal that she's saying, oh, so and so was being rude or like so and so wore this really ugly dress. And so everyone's really scandalized because normally these kind of gossip papers don't actually say who did it. Speaking of thrillers, do you want me to do one more thriller recommendation? Yes, please. Okay. Are you ready to feel incredibly inadequate when I tell you the biography for this author? Always. Okay. All right. I'm going to talk to you about a thriller by Felicia Yap. Felicia, in addition to being a crime writer, has a half blue in competitive ballroom dancing, whatever that is. She's worked as a cell biologist, a war historian, a university lecturer, a technology journalist, a theater critic, a flea market trader, and a catwalk model. Who feels like a waste of space? (laughs) Anyway... She's best known for speculative fiction novel Yesterday, and it's high concept crime. So if you like a little bit of uh, speculative fiction in your crime writing, then this would be one for you. She's got a new one out called Future Perfect, but Yesterday is the one that she's best known for. And I think if you're going to start with Felicia, you should probably start with Yesterday. It's Philip K. Dick meets Memento is how it's being pitched and marketed and the tagline question is how do you solve a murder when you only remember yesterday so imagine you live in a world where your status in life is defined by how much you can remember so if you have a day's worth of memory you're known as a mono if you have two days worth you're a geo and a higher class than everyone else now picture being a mono you're excluded from prestigious jobs but you're married to a politician duo on the rise And both of you are an example in the society of kind of tolerance and a better future together until your husband's mistress is found dead, dumped in the river, and he becomes the prime suspect. So the question at the heart of this is when the person investigating the murder and the suspect's memories are constantly being erased, how can anyone get to the truth? And you can find out when I read this. Me too. This sounds great. Wait, so can she write down notes to herself in the future? Quite possibly, yes. That's probably a big part of it. In the same way that, uh, you remember Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson? Yeah, because I was just thinking of that. Yeah, similar similar sort of thing. I think that sounds fantastic. And where is this set? Because she's from Malaysia, right? Is it set in Malaysia? It's set in the UK. Okay. That's all for today. Read these books, but be warned. Reading any of these novels may result in excessive burning of the midnight oil. You might find yourself annoyed by people who are not part of the story trying to bother you with 
mundane real life details. And there is also a very strong possibility that you will need more after reading the last page. We expect we'll be all tangled up in staging one of the world's greatest literary festivals in the coming weeks, but we'll be back again soon with more essential reading.